Amen. Well, we are in week two of our series, Merry and Bright, and we are going to be celebrating the gift of salvation as we go through the coming morning, morning and then also in the weeks ahead, and we're excited to do that. Uh, before we get into the message and all of that this morning, I do need to share, uh, I received one of the all-time highest compliments I've ever received in ministry this morning, and I just, I just need to share it a little bit because I, I think it was pretty great. Um, it was a little overdue. Uh, it was a long time coming, but... Um, I've been in ministry now for 17 years, and finally, this was actually said of me, and I just, I almost fell over when they said it, honestly, and I, I was just, just overjoyed. Um, someone told me this morning, and actually it was Kelly Proctor, uh, she came up to me and she said, you, you look like Steve, you remind me of Steve this morning. And I looked at her and I said, that's the greatest thing anyone's ever said to me. I can't believe that. And then she was just referring to my sweater, so I kind of felt like... At that point, it was a little bit of a letdown. In no other way am I like Steve Proctor, but we happen to have a similar-ish color sweater on this morning. So, but I'll take it at this point in my life. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's worth, you know, a little more than what I got before. So, but we are excited this morning, um, and we are, again, in week two of our series, Merry and Bright. And last week, uh, if you weren't with us, you can go online on our app or on northgirland.org, and you can go back and you can watch the message. But um, we, we spent some time discovering the truth of the gift of salvation. That in salvation, especially in Christmas time, we receive a lot of gifts. And there's, there's a joy in that. There's nothing better than investing some thought, some time, some energy. Uh, it really doesn't matter how much you spend on a gift, by the way. Some people think, well, if I spend a lot of money on a gift, that makes it a great gift. Not necessarily. It really is the thought that makes the most impact. And so, but you know, when you really think through a gift or you think about what a person needs or wants or what they really desire, or maybe if you have children or grandchildren and you know they've been talking for months about this or that thing and you finally were able to get your hands on it. Do you guys remember that the, the Elmo thing so many years ago, the Tickle Me Elmo? I saw a couple of parents, oh yeah, don't get me started on that, okay? It was just craziness, right? Everybody was trying to get one and all this stuff, Okay. Guess where the majority of Elmos ended up five years later? In a landfill, right? In a dumpster somewhere. And there's nothing wrong with that because we understand we don't expect those things to last forever. But the point is sometimes we invest so much in one thing. We think, I got to get this one thing. But we, maybe we're missing the whole point of why we're giving a gift. Just to, for them to enjoy it, for them to celebrate it. And so there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with giving a gift and, and enjoying that. Even some of the silly things, it's all good. But there is something that's been gifted to humanity that is so much greater than any gift we'll ever receive. And I know it's, it's almost trite around Christmas to say this. You know, we see it all the time. Well, he's the reason for the season. And we see it on Facebook and on T-shirts and on little bumper stickers. And it's, it's true. Praise God, it's true. But if we're not careful, it just becomes this kind of trite Christian saying. But I pray that as we go through the coming weeks and we lead up to Christmas morning, that it's not just a trite saying, that we really do desire to make Christ the emphasis this Christmas. And I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it as long as I feel the Lord would like me to. So often we get so wrapped up in whether or not other people are saying Merry Christmas, or whether or not other people are quote-unquote allowed to say Merry Christmas, or whether this or that coffee cup from this or that store says Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. And we get all wrapped up in that stuff. I'm so offended this cup said happy holidays and not Merry Christmas. Well, the owner of that business is Jewish, so I don't see them putting Merry Christmas on the cup. Just saying. So rather than get all wrapped up in that stuff, why don't we as followers of Christ get more wrapped up in living our lives for Christ 
And so that we make Christ the reason for the season, not just in what we say, but in what we do. And we express that through our lives. If somebody else doesn't want to say it, God bless them. They don't have to. They don't have to. But man, when we get to show the love of Christ this Christmas season, that makes all the difference. So let's not get wrapped up in some of these things that, that I, I feel the last so many years, so many Christians are getting so heated over these things. And in essence, not making Christ the reason of the season when you're arguing with somebody about whether they say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. Show them the love of Christ. Introduce them to the gospel. Let God work it out. Amen? Let's not get all worked up in this stuff. So this Christmas season, we're going to celebrate the gift of salvation. And we talked about last week that this gift is the perfect gift at the right time. It is the perfect gift at the right time. Why is it the perfect gift? Because it is exactly what we needed. The gift of salvation, you can go back and watch the message. It's exactly what we needed. We didn't think we needed it. And in fact, we rejected it when it was given to us. But the gift of salvation, the gift of Christ was exactly what we needed and exactly when we needed it. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, which makes me so thankful. Because when he came 2,000 years ago to live a sinless life and die on a sinner's cross, he came to seek and to save those that were lost. I am was lost. I was one of those that he came to seek and to save. You are one of those that he came to seek and to save. And if you know Christ, he has saved you and redeemed you. And now you are no longer lost. You have a purpose and a plan for your life. You can focus your eyes on Christ and he can use you for his glory. And you're blessed in the process by living an abundant life. And so he came to seek and to save those that were lost. And why are we so thankful for that? Because maybe you are like me and we can identify with the apostle Paul when he says, man, I was the chiefest of sinners. I was the worst of the worst. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and think, well, I'm not that bad. I've not done anything that bad. I've never killed anyone. I've never done anything like that. I understand what we mean when we mean that because we look at sin the way humans look at sin. We, we gauge it. We, we kind of put it on a scale, right? There's really, really bad sins and not so bad sins. And we all kind of do not so bad sins, but we really should never do the really bad sins because that's really bad. Do you know what the Bible says? For the wages of sin... Not sins, plural, sin. You know that Bible, or in the Bible, that word sin in the original language is the word hamartia in the Greek, which means all-encompassing sin, any and all sin of any kind. For the wages of sin, we don't gauge it. We don't put it on a scale and think, well, I'm not as bad as this person or that person. No, the Bible says that because of our sin, Christ came to seek and to save us. And he died on the cross for our sin. And that when we believe and trust in him, we are granted by grace through faith, eternal life. Never be taken away. You see, we can and we could and can do nothing to save ourselves. We need and needed desperately for Christ to come and to save us. It is the greatest gift that has ever been given. Which brings us to our topic this morning. We need to understand the gift of salvation is the gift that keeps on giving. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Now, in our app, if you'd like to follow along, there is an outline in there. If you go into media and then sermon notes, you'll find a little outline in there. We've been talking about this for a few weeks. You can find an outline on there with some fill-in-the-blanks. You can fill in, kind of follow along on there. You'll see one with this date on it, today's date, and you should be able to click on that and follow along. So whether you're taking notes in the app or whether on pen and paper, we encourage that, obviously. But we're just excited to talk about this idea that it's the gift that keeps on giving. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 
too. If you're following along in one of the Bibles provided, there's some Bibles in the seats there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, we would invite you to use one of those. Um, So whether you're using one of those or your own, if you're using one of those, uh, you can turn to page 716, Luke chapter 2. In the Bibles provided, page 716. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8. So I mentioned it last week. One of the amazing things about Christmas is it's kind of a blessing and a curse for a lot of pastors that I know because uh, often you'll come into a Christmas series and you just try to think, how can I tell the same story a different way? How can I tell the same story with a new um, emphasis or a different nuance or something along those lines? Like, what can I do to make it a little different? And I understand why so many pastors struggle with that. We, we try to come up with ways to say it a little bit different or make a different emphasis. But one of the blessings in Christmas and celebrating Christmas this month is we get to go to these very familiar verses that I don't know about you, but sometimes these get skipped the rest of the year. Like I don't hear a lot of messages and I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone else. I don't hear a lot of messages about the shepherds in June, right? So one of the cool things about Christmas and one of the blessings that we have in Christmas is that we, we intentionally, and we should do this more often because it's all God's word given by him for his glory and our blessing. But we need to focus on these passages a little more. But now we get to do it with intention and purpose because it kind of the season kind of draws us to it. It's almost the same as when a pastor gets up and preaches from a non-Christmas passage in December. You're almost kind of, whoa, what's going on here? You're not allowed to do that, preacher. It's December. We've got to be in Matthew, Luke, the first couple chapters, somewhere in there. We can't go jumping around in Revelation now, okay? Don't do that. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, if you hear the Charlie Brown special in your head, and you're hearing, it's Linus, right? If you're hearing Linus say this, that's okay, okay? It's not deity, it's not divinity, it's not godly, but it's close, okay? He's, he's almost there, okay? Because I don't know about you, but when I read this text, I always just hear little Linus on the stage, the spotlight on him, right? It's great. So chapter 2, verse uh, 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Let's pause there for a second. Who is the gospel for? All people. Not the people that you think deserve it. Not the people that you deem as worthy enough for it. All people. Every family group on planet earth. In the Bible, when it talks about nations, it's not referring to, you know, geopolitical nations like Italy or France or England. It's referring to people groups. So the word is ethnos, where we get the word ethnic. So ethnic people groups or family groups, every language group, as unique as they can be, needs to hear the gospel and it's for them. Whether it's this tribe or that people group or this person in that nation, they all need the gospel because it's for them. goes on to say, uh, where did I leave off here in verse 11? Okay. I'm glad you guys are following along. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. We just sang that. Glory to God in the highest. Do you realize that when you join in the angelic choirs that are singing that continuously in heaven, praising God, the Father, praising the Son. 
that we get to join in that as a, as a human choir, as a group praising him. I pray that when we sing those things, that we engage those songs, not just sing the words, but really think about what we're praising. Why does he deserve glory in the highest? Why are we singing these praises to him? Because of verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He is Savior, he is King, and he is worthy. goes on to say in verse 15, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. I think my comment, my first comment would be a little different. I think I would look at my coworkers and I'd be like, you saw that, right? That wasn't just me, right? Because I might be thinking I'm a little crazy. If I, you saw that, right? Like you saw the angels and you heard that? Okay, good. I'm just making sure I'm not the only one says, let's go see this thing. Let's go investigate this and see what we just heard. See if it's true. Verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. What was the saying told to them of the child? Born this day in the city of David is a savior. That's the message they're proclaiming. We need to tell everybody because this is for everybody goes on to say verse 18 and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds but mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart and the shepherds returned to the sheep returned to work they returned glorifying and praising god for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them let's pray father We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find therein. We pray, Father, that as we study and and talk about the gift of salvation this morning, that we would realize that it is the gift that keeps on giving, that we would realize that it is a gift that every single day, every single breath provides to us, equips us in some way to honor you, to praise you, to glorify you, to live in a way that honors you, to speak things that honor you, to be comforted in ways that we can't explain to those that don't know Christ. So we thank you, Lord. And, and I just pray that in, in this morning service and in the, the week ahead, maybe we would individually start to think about the many blessings that salvation has provided to us, not just eternal life, which, Lord, that would be enough to pause and praise forever, that you would save sinners like us, that you would redeem us and call us justified and forgiven and free and and grant to us eternal life. Lord, what a praise that is. So we could just stay there. But Lord, you're so good and, and such a great father that you don't leave us there. That there's so much more to the gift of salvation. And so I praise you. We praise you as a church for that. May you glorify your name and thank you for the gift of salvation, Lord. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal savior, Lord, maybe they've been to church a lot. Maybe they've been baptized. Maybe they've read through the Bible in a year. Maybe they're, quote unquote, a good person and do good things and live in good ways and are moral and uh, love their family and try to be a good person. Lord, all those things. I just pray, Lord, that if they're here today, that they would realize that it's not about those things. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, did not repented and turned from their sin and asked for forgiveness from you by believing you died on the cross for their sins and just surrendering to you as Lord and Savior of their life, 
Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts and minds, that you would draw them, Holy Spirit, unto repentance, that they would confess their sin and believe unto eternal life. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy, and all that you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these shepherds, they investigate the situation. They go, they find Jesus exactly where the shepherds said. They see what the, what the angel said, rather. They see everything that was declared of Jesus. They spend time worshiping, and then they go and they start telling everybody they can about this child-born Savior, this King of Kings. And what I love about this is that they had an encounter with Christ, and I would argue they were never the same. And I believe the evidence is simple. It's not expounded upon in the text. But there's a phrase here that I believe tells us that they were changed, that something was different. And it's found in verse 20. And the shepherds returned, so they returned to work, and they returned to their sheep, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. These, these men went and investigated what they had heard. They saw Christ. They worshiped. They told everyone they could. And they went back to work different than when they left the field. They left the field curious, right? Wondering, could it be? Is it true? Then they had an encounter with Christ. And they returned differently than when they left. And they returned glorifying God. I don't think that is meant to be taken as they just glorified God between Jesus and the sheep. I take that to mean that they glorify God in their lives, that they are now different. And so why would I emphasize that this morning? Because I believe that when we encounter Christ, when we truly encounter Christ in the gospel and receive his salvation, we are never the same. We are never the same. The gift we received continues to flow both into us through the work of the spirit and his word, as well as out of us as we can help Others find Christ, understand the gospels. We share all that Christ has done for us and desires to do for them in saving them from their sin. You see, there's a message of the gospel being preached today that you can get saved and keep your life exactly as it is. That you can get saved by saying a prayer and just, you know, hearing some knowledge of Christ and saying this prayer or signing a membership thing. And you know what? Yep, I love Jesus and I'm good with Jesus and he's good with me. But your life stays exactly the same, meaning your desires are still just as selfish. Your interests are just as selfish. Your, your wants are not Christ's wants, but your wants. You continue to live in unrepentant, unforgiven sin. But it's okay because I said this prayer one time. And do you know the Bible says that's not the gospel? And the gospel says when we receive Christ and his spirit takes up residence in us, we are a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. There is zero evidence in scripture that we get saved and keep our lives the exact same as they were before. If anything, when we receive Christ, we realize how broken and undone we are in sin. And it's not a guilt thing or a beat ourselves up thing. It's a God, you are so good thing. And we throw our lives at the altar of his desires. And we say, my life is your life. I no longer live. It is Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live, I live unto the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a surrender. It's saying, God, I want you. Now, does this mean we'll never, ever sin? No. We're all tempted to sin in Christ. We all could sin in Christ. But we have a desire in our hearts to say, I don't want that sin. We may trip and stumble and get our eyes off him for a moment, but there will be conviction. There will be a drawing back. And I believe we will want to seek forgiveness. 
We'll taste of that muddy water and we'll realize we have a fountain of pure water that we just rejected for this mess. And we'll flee that. We'll walk in the, nope, I'm sorry, Lord. What was I thinking? I don't want that. There's a big difference between that and someone saying, yeah, I do what I want. I sin, whatever. I don't really care. I prayed a prayer. I'm good with Jesus. You know, the Bible says in Matthew that on that day, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you for a little while. Then I didn't know you. Then I knew you again. And then I didn't know you. And then I didn't know you. And then I knew you again. And then you sinned again. And I had to kick you out. And now you're dead. That's not how it works. You're either in Christ or outside of Christ. That's it. And we're going to talk about one of the beautiful gifts of salvation is the eternal security he gives to those who truly believe. So I want to encourage you this morning. I believe that if you know Christ, you've seen it in your own life. Your life's not the same as it was. And again, we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with that flesh. Romans chapter 7, there's this war going on. But the desire of our heart in Christ will always be to keep our eyes on him. Now, we may or may not do that practically every day, but the desire is, Lord, I want you. I want your word. And this is just an encouragement. We're going to turn a little bit here. If you can honestly look at your life and say, I don't have that, then I pray that you'd begin to ask the Lord, do you really know him? You see, when we receive Christ, we're never the same. So what other gifts flow out of the gift of salvation? It's, we got to hurry. That was just the introduction, y'all. So pray on it. Um, so what other gifts flow out of salvation? Now, this week, I put a, a little question on Facebook about asking that more or less that question. And I loved seeing the response. If you didn't get a chance to, to go on our Facebook page and to see some of the answers that people were given, um, just amazing what people were sharing about how the gift of salvation has led to other gifts in their lives evidenced. And, and they just are enjoying so much. And so when I was reading through them, it was just, I'm not going to give everything that was said, but there was just go check it out. But some of the gifts that were mentioned were significance in God, to have significance in him, that he is always with me. He's always with me. Conviction is a gift given through the gift of salvation that we don't see it that way. But when I sin or I think about sinning or I'm doing something that God wouldn't have me to do, that conviction the spirit brings, what a gift. Do you know why? Because the spirit knows you keep going down that road, it's not going to end well. And so that conviction is warning signs, prodding us, please stop, please stop, turn around, turn around. That conviction is such a treasure, such a gift from a good and loving Heavenly Father. Another answer that was given was a renewed mind, that we can have our minds renewed in the things of Christ. That we don't have to think how we used to think and that we're always growing in our understanding. Basic wisdom in him, identity, who we really are, is not wrapped up in what you do for a living or what you drive or how much money you have. It's wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then one of the answers that really stuck with me was hope. Simply just hope, that we have hope in him. So what are the gifts of salvation that come out of, or what are some other gifts that come out of the gift of salvation as it is a gift that keeps on giving? Well, the first thing we need to note is, is the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 makes it clear that if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. And if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. 
I mean, when you get saved and you finally understand your sin and you repent of that sin, turning from it and turning to Christ, the Bible says that he gives you his Holy Spirit to indwell you and take up residence in you and to live in you. And that spirit is such a gift. And is it a gift that truly equips us to do what God has called us to do, to live the abundant life, to have these things that we need to endure this life and all of its difficulties. You see, in salvation, we are gifted with the indwelling of the Spirit, which gives us, and I just jotted down three. I just put down three quick thoughts that came to our mind as far as what the Spirit provides to us. And we'll talk about eternal security in just a moment, which again, the Spirit seals for us. And so we'll get to that in a moment. But just three things I thought of with the gift of the Spirit. Do you know that because of the Spirit, we can pray? We can speak to the Father, that the Spirit even speaks for us, that the Spirit moves us and draws us to prayer, draws us to pour out our hearts and minds to Christ, that we can lay our requests before the Lord by the Spirit, through the Spirit, because of what Christ did for us, that in the Spirit, we have understanding of the Word of God, that we have understanding of the word of God, that we could not understand the word before. But now when you read the word, do you ever find yourself reading and it just starts to come to life? You just, you read a word and you're like, wow, I, I know I've read this verse like 47 times and I've never noticed that. Because the spirit of God is opening your heart and opening your mind because that word right there, that's what you needed today. And then you go into your day and you begin to live your day And all of a sudden you realize, oh, Lord, that's why you wanted me to know that. And the Bible says that that our natural mind can't understand the things of God. But in the spirit, he illuminates our minds. He opens our minds to the spirit. And the third thing I just jotted on, again, not exhaustive, just quickly, was a peace that is not dependent upon our own circumstances. John 14, 27. A peace that is not dependent upon your own circumstances. This is why believers that live in a fallen world, that experience tragedy and difficulty, we can endure these things. Why? Not because I'm strong enough, but because his peace is in me. And the peace that he gives is not the absence of struggle. We think, oh, well, peace is the opposite of war. So if there's any struggle, there's no peace. Don't think of it that way. Think of it this way. His peace is with you in the struggle and in the time of rest. When the storms are raging and it's calm, his peace is consistent. That's why it's different than what the world gives. That's what John 14 says. I don't give you peace as the world gives. The world could give you momentary peace, temporary peace. I No, no, I give you eternal peace. Why? Because of Romans 5.1. You used to be an enemy of God, but now by faith you have been justified. That's the peace we have with God. He is no longer our enemy or ours his. We have a peace with God. So therefore, what else could really shake me? Because he is my father and I have a relationship to Christ. Another thing that I came to my mind as far as just in a general sense, the spirit also produces fruit in our lives as we see in Galatians chapter five, which testifies to our faith. And we could do a whole series just on the fruit of the spirit, but you can go and you can look at Galatians five and you can read those things there. And you see that that's a gift of the spirit, which is an evidence of the gift of salvation. Again, the gift that keeps on given. So here we see the first thing I want to note is one of the gifts that we receive as a part of the gift of salvation is the Spirit of God indwelling us. Another gift that is given to us through the gift of salvation is the gift of the church. The gift of the church. Through Christ, we are baptized or submerged into the church. We see this referenced in Acts 2 and verse 47. Acts 5 and verse 14. Romans 6, 1 through 5. All speak of this idea. 
that we are being planted together as a church, that we are brought into the body of Christ, that we were outside the church now through Christ, not through man. Okay, I don't need somebody to tell me that I'm a part of the church because in Christ, I'm already in the church. And through Christ, I will never not be a part of the church. So I'm in the church, the body of Christ. This is not just referring to a local assembly like this. It's meaning all believers who are part of the body of Christ. That you have been planted together. And I love that. That we are rooted and grounded in Christ. And then we are planted in the church. This is why church is so vital. This is why gathering together as the body is so crucial to our health as followers of Christ. The church is a gift to us. Now, I know for some that may shock you. Some of you would even disagree. You would say, look, I, I get it. I understand what you're saying. But I can't say legitimately the church has always been a blessing to me. Because the truth is you've encountered people in church, through church, that were not a blessing to you. And it's okay to say amen right here. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know, I've never really encountered anyone like that. You may be. No, okay. I, should, I shouldn't go there. The spirit was like, where are you going? Like, pull that in. Come on. We've all experienced this in church where we've had conversations with people or experienced people where they were just rude, mean vindictive, gossiped about you, talked about you on your back, and then people go, see, that's why I don't go to church, because of all the hypocrites. Do you realize hypocrisy is not a Christian problem? It's a human problem. And we've said this before. You ever have a cashier at Walmart be mean to you? Did you just boycott Walmart? I'm not going back there. That one cashier that one time was so mean to me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to Walmart. Whatever it is. You ever been in the hospital and a nurse comes in to check your vitals after taking her smoke break? Maybe I should check your vitals. Like, how are you doing? Like, what's, what's going on? I'm just, do you see that? I mean, think about it. It's all over our culture. Now, is that condoning it in a sinful sense? No. I'm not at all saying that a church should go, well, it's no big deal. We all, no. Romans 6.1, do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The point is, Of course, there's going to be people that struggle with sin in church because we as people, even as followers of Christ, will struggle with sin. It doesn't make it okay. doesn't make it encouraged. I don't condone it. It needs to be talked about, talked to, encouraged to overcome those things. But in the way that understands that, listen, if some of you grew up in a church where you were told to keep your sin secret because that's just not talked about in church, that didn't free you from sin. That just gave you a really good way to cover your sin. And some of you grew up in churches like that where you were encouraged. Hey, listen, don't bring that in here. Nope, you come in here, you look nice, suit and tie, everyone's happy, everyone's smiling. Nope, it's them out there that have the problems, not us. And all that did was encourage people to push their sin down deeper instead of admitting and saying, hey, I got a struggle. Did you ever go up in a church where you go to prayer meeting? And people giving all kinds of prayer requests, everyone's sick. Pray for so-and-so and so-and-so. They're all sick. They're sick. They're sick. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting where someone said, would you pray for me because I'm struggling with bitterness? Would you pray for me? I'm struggling with lustful thinking. Hey, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with alcohol. I'm struggling with drugs. I'm struggling with these things. No, why? Because most of us were encouraged. Don't talk about that in church. And all it does 
This encourages people to either bury their own sin and pretend like everything's fine because I can't tell anyone because they'll judge me. Or it makes other people think they're better than you because, well, I don't struggle with that sin, so I'm obviously better than them. That has no place in the church. Now, does this mean you get up and you just lay out your whole laundry list of stuff? Please don't. There's this thing, oh, you got to be, to be genuine, you got to tell everybody everything. That's ridiculous. You don't walk into the gas station and the guy go, how you doing today? Let me tell you, 45 minutes later, you've told this poor guy your whole struggle. He's crying, he's weeping, he doesn't know how he's going to live. He's like, I don't even know what to do. You don't do that, why? Tact. So what do you do then? You, you go to somebody that you trust spiritually in the church, in the body, a man to a man and a woman to a woman. And you say, listen, I'm struggling with some stuff. I believe you walk with Christ closely. Can you help me with this? And you begin to just work together on these things. So I understand that was like a message and a message. I don't know what's going on. I understand that all of us have had experience, negative experiences in church because we all live in a fallen world with fallen man. We're not perfect. I don't condone it, but we shouldn't be shocked by it. But here's the truth. The risk of being hurt by somebody in church is greatly outweighed by the blessing of the church in your life. Listen, I could, I could tell you stories about how my experience in church has been, positive and negative. I can tell you stories about business meetings that you would think, I can't believe Christians would act that way. But I can tell you this, this church, I can't speak of every church, this church has been more of a blessing. The people, by the way, not the building. The building's nice, but the building's not the blessing. The people are the blessing. The people have been such a blessing to Sandra and I since day one of our ministry here that it greatly outweighs any of that other stuff. To the point where I sit in my office and you know what I think about most days? Not the negative stuff. I think about, man, I am, I'm so blessed to just be here. And so the church is a blessing. It is a gift given to us to help us walk with Christ and to encourage others. Again, we aren't a perfect church, but man, I love my church. I'm so thankful for my church. And so here we understand the church is a gift. It's a blessing. If you receive the gift of salvation, it continues gifting us with not only those things, but the gift of eternal security. In Christ, we wake up every morning with a confidence, not in our ability to maintain our salvation, but in the reality that we have been justified fully in his finished work on the cross. The gift of salvation is not just in the moment of forgiving our sin and hopefully we don't blow it before we die. Hopefully I can just do enough to keep it. Salvation is more than that. Salvation is also about forgiving our sin and holding us in his hand for eternity. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 28, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I give unto them. Who are the them? Those that believe unto faith, receiving grace and receiving salvation. I give unto them eternal life and no one will pluck you out of my hand. That passage goes on to say that his hand is in the father's hand and no one can take you out of my father's hand. A quote I read this last week from Thomas Watson. It was actually written in 1692 and to me was so powerful. We must have conformity to him in grace 
before we can have community with him in glory. The reason this is so powerful is kind of dual in its purpose or intent. But to me, the reason it is so powerful is because when we are conformed to him in grace, by the work of the Spirit drawing us into repentance, we will have community, connection with him in glory. It's dual. Like if, if I've never received conformity to his grace and to him, I will not have community with him in glory. That means one day I'll be separated from him. But the inverse is true. If I have had conformity to him in grace, then I will have community with him in glory. What does that mean? That one day when I leave this world, I will be with him in his glory, in his heaven before his throne. This is the confidence that Paul had, the Apostle Paul, in writing Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And this verse, I, I don't know why the Lord, I, it's a great verse. I understand why he encouraged me with it, but it's been on my mind for, for months now. I just can't seem to get away from it. Philippians 1, 6. He that began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He will hold you. If he started a work in you, he will not stop halfway. He will finish the work that he started And I do need to pause here and share an encouragement to all of us. And it is an encouragement. Do you, and you don't need to turn aloud, but do you know of God or are you known of God? And we talked about this Wednesday nights. We've been talking about this last couple of weeks. Do you merely have head knowledge about the cross or have you repented of your sin and called out for mercy? Now, some pastors discourage Christians or believers in their church from even suggesting they question their salvation. And I understand that we should never question the ability of God to save anyone. That is not what we're questioning. I'm not encouraging you to question, could God save me? I'm asking you the question, have you given yourself to Christ? Have you been saved of Christ? Again, we are actually encouraged in Scripture to evaluate our faith. Test to see, are you of the faith? Are you in the faith? Or are you one of those that just have head knowledge of God? You know a lot about him. You know some facts about him. But when we get to heaven, we're not going to stand before the throne of God and he go, okay, Bible trivia time. Tell me the 12 apostles. Tell me where Jesus was born. Tell me how old Jesus was when he started his earthly ministry. Tell me the eight miracles recorded in the gospel of John. Tell me all the I am statements of Jesus and John. Not going to happen. You see, what will happen, though, is that we will get into a line, and there's two lines. One, those that are saved, the lamb, or the sheep, rather, that are before the lamb. The other line is called the goats, and you're in that line. And when you're in that line, there's no, well, I I should be in that line. Because, see, there's a judge that has a book, and he's opened that book, and he said, no, I know who's supposed to be in what line. And if you are outside of Christ, you're in that line of the line of the goats, and that's a line of judgment unto condemnation. But if you're in the line of sheep, you've done nothing to earn that spot in that line, by the way. It's not like Disney World where you get the fast pass. It doesn't happen that way. You're in that line because of the grace of God, because the lamb was slain for the sins of the world, and you believed of the salvation. And it's all his work, all holding you in that spot. See, he will keep you forever and ever and ever because he has given to us eternal life that can never be taken away. Lastly, and again, and not an exhaustive list, we could go weeks on this. 
And I encourage you to do your own personal study and just start writing down journaling. Maybe every day this week, just for seven days. Today I'm going to focus on a different gift that I've received through the gift of salvation. But last one I just came to my mind was the gift of good works. The gift of good works. We're going to go to this passage, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And again, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 824. Ephesians chapter 2. So we see the gift of the Holy Spirit, which leads to so many other gifts. We see the gift of the church, what a blessing the body of Christ can be for us in our lives. We see the gift of eternal security, the guarantee of eternal life in Christ. And lastly, the gift of good works. Ephesians 2, obviously chapter 2 is a very popular verse. It speaks to the heart of what salvation really is, that we are saved by faith. Saved by grace, not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. But look at verse 10. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, I love this. The Apostle Paul does not deny good works in the life of the believer, but the Apostle Paul put them in the appropriate place. We, as followers of Christ, are called unto good works. But those good works flow out of an understanding of salvation that is based in faith and grace, not I work for faith, I work for grace, I work for favor. No, Paul says, listen, now that you understand there's no boasting in heaven, there's no self-righteousness in heaven, then now you can understand that everything's by grace through faith. Now you can work with the appropriate foundation of understanding. Because if you don't get its grace and faith first and that you don't boast, then you will work and think when you get to heaven, I've arrived on my own merit. But when we understand the right foundation for why we work, man, now our work becomes free. Now we don't work out of fear or out of anxiety of like, I hope I did enough today or else God's going to strike me down. Those are works-based religions. That's not Christianity. In Christianity, we are called unto good works in Christ. Our lives are blessed with the opportunity to show and share the gospel through the things we do and the things we say. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. I actually, we shared this, this last men's prayer breakfast with the guys kind of as an encouragement. But it speaks to our very lives or our conduct reflecting that of the gospel. Paul says, I want your very conduct or your conversation in the King James translation. But it means lifestyle, the way you live to be evidence of the gospel. That people would look at your life and say, there's someone that knows the gospel. They understand the good news of Jesus Christ. Now again, does that mean we're perfect? Man, I, this is where Christians go, I want that, but that's not my life. Listen, if you drive on the roads, work for fallen people, or raise children, you will not always, 24-7, let your life be looking like it's the gospel. Sooner or later, that flesh is coming out. And sooner or later, you're going to have to go back to somebody and say, my bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. So we don't try to live in perfection. Perfection was never the goal of a Christian life. Faithfulness is the goal of the Christian life. I just want to be faithful for your glory, for your honor. So help me to grow in that. But we need to evaluate our lives. It doesn't mean we live flippant lives either and just go, wow, it's no big deal because we're all fallen. No, it's got to be a heart question. Does my life reflect the gospel? Or does it reflect my own kingdom, my own desires, my own wants? 
You see, our Christianity is meant to be lived out loud. Why? So that as Matthew's gospel says, they will see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It is not so that we are praised, although a thank you or honoring someone is actually encouraged in Scripture. We don't work for those things, though. We understand the real glory goes to the Lord because he is the one receiving all of the glory, all of the praise. Why? Because it is the gift of salvation that gives us the ability to even work for him. So when someone praises us or thanks us or honors us, we can receive that with an appropriate level. But we need to say, but it's all glory to God. Because if it wasn't for the gift of salvation, you wouldn't be doing what you do for him. You wouldn't even be sitting in this church right now. Listen, there's a lot of other things you could be doing on a Sunday morning. Christmas shopping, for example. Some of you are like, I could do that today. But why are you here? Why do we gather? Why do we even get up and come here? Why do we sing these songs? Why do we read this book? And why do we pray these prayers? Because we've been saved. Because we've received eternal life. Because over 2,000 years ago, born was a savior. And so we honor him. We worship him. We have been gifted with the perfect gift at the right time. The right gift at the right time. And that perfect gift keeps on giving. In Christ, we see daily reminders on our lives and in this world of how our salvation continues to draw us to praise him. So I want to ask you a question in the morning closing. Number one, do you know him? Not have you know about him or you heard about him, but do you know him and are you known of him? But are you praising him for the outflowing gifts of your salvation? Are you going into every day working for his glory, pointing others to Christ? Or are we so consumed with our own stuff? We all got it. But are we so consumed with our own schedules and our own stuff that we're refusing to acknowledge, say, no, I need to work for you today. I need to raise my children for you today. I need to love my wife and love my husband for you, Lord. How do we love the unlovable like our spouse sometimes? How do we love our children when they're just being kids and not being lovable? How do you love your coworker when they're not being lovable? How do you submit to your boss when they're not being lovable or understanding or fair? How do we live in a nation of leaders who reject the, the, the authority of God and the lead of God and the, the rule of God in their lives? How do we function in this society as followers of Christ? We understand that we have been loved and shown grace of the Father through Christ. And so we say, Lord, everything I do is for you. So when I love my neighbor who's not being very lovable, I love them as though I'm loving you. See, that's how we get through. We, we look past their unlovable acts and words. I'm not saying we don't address it and we deal with it, but we're not really loving our neighbor for our neighbor. We're loving them as an outpouring of the love of Christ in us and our love for the Father. And that will, by the way, lead us to more consistently loving our neighbor for who they really are. And we'll stop focusing on the negative things and start focusing more on that they were created in the image of God, valuable, intrinsically valuable, because they're just made in the image of God. And we'll love them and care for them and serve them as a reflection of the gospel in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for this church. Lord, I do pray that as we spend some time in invitation this morning, reflecting over all that we've talked about, the gift of salvation is being celebrated in our hearts and lives, Lord, because it truly is the gift that keeps on giving. Lord, there is so much that you give to us through salvation. The gift of your spirit. The gift of your church. 
the gift of eternal security. And Father, yes, even the gift of good works that we can live in a way that honors you, reflecting that gospel in our lives. Prayerfully, Lord, through those good works, you're drawing others to you. If they're coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, as we live before them the gospel, we speak the gospel. And Lord, the gospel is a simple message that all of us have fallen. We've all fallen from perfection. We are sinful. And that sin demands a consequence, a judgment. Apart from Christ, that is a place called hell. But in Christ, when we believe that you died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again as a payment for our sin, then when we believe and trust in Christ, repenting, turning from our sins, and believing in you, trusting in you, surrendering to you, Lord, you save us and gift us with eternal life. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to live in a way that would reflect that. Maybe we would come and pray this morning and say thank you for these many gifts. You are so good. And Father, again, may you be glorified in all of this as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we sing a song of invitation, would you respond to what the Lord is doing? Maybe you want to come and pray and thank him for his many gifts. Whatever it is, would you respond as we sing?